Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. Dr. Nadia Rosman is somebody who I got to spend some time with when I moved here to Germany, thanks to our Bonn Sidewalk Talk team. She's the editor of a German magazine called Evolve Magazine, which is dedicated to the evolution of human consciousness with really smart people. And boy, was this a fun conversation. Um, If you want to geek out and talk about really some of the spiritual underpinnings of listening. I think you're going to groove on this conversation. So Dr. Rossman is a cultural anthropologist with a focus on identity research. She's also a journalist and a communications consultant, um, mostly on fields of economics and spirituality. And she also has her own blog, which she didn't mention, which is www.zenpop.de forward slash blog. And without further ado, Dr. Nadia Rossman. So I wanted to welcome everyone and welcome Nadia Rossman to our Sidewalk Talk podcast conversation today. And Nadia, I met recently, she is the editor of Evolve magazine and maybe has studied what had I gone back and done it all over again, what I might have wanted to study. She has her PhD in cultural anthropology, which I'm so envious of and so excited to pick your brain. Nadia, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited talking to you. Yeah. So I wanted to say that when I, so first off, I want to give props to our Bonn team. Uh, We have a very large Sidewalk Talk chapter in Bonn, and they had done some outreach to Evolve magazine. And you did a small write-up about Sidewalk Talk in the magazine. And then I got to meet you personally when I moved here to Heidelberg and got to attend an Evolve magazine salon, all in German. (laughs) And yet I was really... um, profoundly moved at the group container that you were building and how, how hard it is for us to come together around difficult topics and stay in relationship while we're having those difficult topics. What was that like for you that yeah, night? It, it was a really uh, great event for me, especially because uh, that uh, part where you were there with us uh, wasn't really easy. But I think the salons we are doing are really a space to bring people together who have a serious interest in what's going on in our time, our culture, and talking about that to others and therefore connecting. So let's let's broaden the context and bring our listeners in a little bit. Tell us a little bit about Evolve Magazine and what their deepest longing and intention is 
where you operate in the world. Is it just in Germany or do you operate in other parts of the world? And, and what's the focus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our Evolve magazine recently is only out in German, but we are part of an international globally acting organization, which is called Emerge Consciousness Culture. And that's an organization that deals uh, with meditation and dialogue to connect uh, people. That's uh, the overall thing. And Evolve Magazine, we started five years ago in Germany because main parts of our group are German-speaking and living here. And the magazine, it's a quarterly, uh, deals with questions of contemporary cultural development, identity, consciousness. So we pick up topics that are really important for all of us. And after a while, course, dialogue practice is an essential part of uh, what we are doing in the organization. We thought it's not enough to have only a magazine to provide information to people, but we also wanted to create spaces where people can move that kind of content and come to new insights about uh, the world through talking to each other. That's the overall thing we are doing. Yeah. Which makes sense why we're having a conversation because we share some, some components around that art of connection. So I'll just share with everyone that the magazine's last quarterly issue was on the role of money in our lives and how money shapes how we view our lives, how we view the world, how we view others, which is such a provocative question in and of itself. Of course, I had to take the magazine and try to do Google Translate, which is about <laughs> everything that I could possibly do. So it's helped my German. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I was amazed A, when I attended the salon, what a gift it was to not actually speak English. I thought I would get bored and I didn't get bored at all. I guess I was also happy to see that I had grown enough that I didn't feel like I needed to, I felt included even though I wasn't in the dialogue because I felt energetically I was included in the container. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was amazed at how many emotions came up for people. Yeah. Yeah, uh, sometimes I have the impression that those uh, salons really create uh, a known field of gravitation between Mm -hmm. people. Because sharing interest in something, in something meaningful, and uh, especially at that salon, there were quite some people who had meaningful experiences and uh, wanted to talk about that. Talking about meaningful things really uh, can open up for other people and uh, it creates a space where also new insights can arise. And arising means, uh, yeah, that that they really come out all of a sudden because we open up ourselves. Yet we live in a culture where some might say, but why would you sit around and talk? (laughs) What does that actually achieve? And I'm sure you've heard this before. What do you say to that? What's the importance of sitting around and talking about meaningful things and opening up new experiences? Yeah, it's uh, if you're really open to other people, then uh, you become more than just an isolated self, I think. 
because mm -hmm. uh, then uh, yeah you, you touch life and other people in in a different way and i, I think there's a miraculous part in that kind of process because you you can't really do it or force it to happen it depends a bit how interested people are and also on their willingness to listen to something they might not knew they even might to disagree with but to to stay with this shared space and and that's uh, of course something that our work also needs a bit that people have a certain willingness to stay for two hours together mm -hmm. but if they have then really things can happen that you can't imagine by yourself <laughs> yeah you know, I was, the other thing I should say about you is that I, I think you have a very insightful blog and, and some of your work as an anthropologist, what you studied was spirituality and identity, if I recall correctly, yes? Identity without spirituality. The identity. spirituality came into after I finished uh, university. Got it. <laughs> so it makes sense, some of the questions that you bring up on your, on your blog as well. And I think you and I share some interests around the, the current workplace and, and, and burnout. And yeah. there seems to be a way in which our healthy predisposition to connect is, even if we want to, our work environments are removing that natural inclination because we're asked to work so much harder and produce rather than connect. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm wondering what you imagine or know, whether you, it's a guess or it's something that you've studied, to be the impact on our sense of self, on our identity as people. I think it's quite a disaster what's happening through recent uh, performance cultures or agility, like you call it nowadays, because it, it can have a really destructive impact on people. And for me, also from the perspective uh, of looking at identity, one point in this is that our individualization can really leave us in separation. And in, in usual working environments, uh, it happens very often that uh, people then are in a position where they feel they just have to fight for themselves to survive. And that, that might sound hard, but uh, in working environments and companies, uh, it often comes very subtle because there are so many systemic structures that aren't really uh, there to connect people, hmm. but uh, more to improve your own performance uh, and not looking what's going on with all the others. And that's, uh, I think, a severe problem. So what I hear you saying is that our focus on productivity creates almost in some ways more of an individualistic mindset. Mm -hmm. exactly. and, and then as we, it's sort of like a sort of feedback loop, you know, the more productivity we want, the more isolation we create, but then the more isolation we create, I think that the potential is that you don't get the, as much out of your work teams anyway because they're no longer teaming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly this, yeah. 
Yeah, and on a, a health level, we can see uh, all those stress-related diseases. And then we are starting uh, to try to cure them. But uh, that falls too short if we don't uh, try to change the structures. And structures are always made by human beings. So <laughs> it ends up with us again. So I'm hearing you say that whatever structures we put in place, I mean, I certainly organize and, and I'm learning to need to learn to organize people that it's really powerful to and difficult to organize people around a sh shared common goal. But just like somebody might say, why would you sit in a room at an evolved salon for two hours? Isn't that a waste of time? Why would you build a corporate structure that involves an in a large amount of connection? Hmm. I think connection uh, is a sphere that uh, you shouldn't try to observe from a perspective of uh, mere functionality. Because mm -hmm. it, it isn't such a dual thought thing. It's uh, connection is aliveness, like in an organism or mm -hmm. in nature. Mm -hmm. And you also wouldn't uh, ask a tree why he's it's standing there and growing. Right. <laughs> and uh, I think we, we have to reconsider our thinking about life and our relationship to life as a whole, as a much bigger thing than we are ourselves, mm -hmm. to, to understand that the entry points to cultural change and to human improvement and well-being might be completely different ones than we are used to think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, of course, also a very spiritual perspective. Because uh, as it doesn't work uh, as a functionalism, you, you really have to have some kind of initial trust that something between human beings is possible. Mm. And that yeah. you can get, can't get with your mind. You have to try it, you have to explore it, you have to experience it. And that's exactly why it might be really, really cool to sit in a circle for two hours with people talking uh, about a magazine. Yeah, yeah. You know, it reminds me, what's happening inside of me now as I listen to you is I'm having a bit of an aha because you're not saying something new, but you, you, the way you said it reached me in a new way, which is that there is a prizing of knowing through the mind. Mm -hmm. And that what I almost hear you saying is if you just experience knowing in a different way, that you could then experience the vitality of being the tree, not analyzing the tree. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right? And all the good feeling that comes from that kind of vitality of, of growing into, I'm going to be a little woo here for a second, but growing into all of your humanity that includes spirituality and meaning and transcendence and all those other things. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's important to see that uh, that kind of process of connecting doesn't leave behind thinking. Right. It puts it only uh, into a completely different uh, place. And I think this really opening oneself just up, getting more transparent and uh, meeting in exactly this with others, 
yeah, ma makes us also aware our human fragility. Mm. And if, if you can see in one other person's eyes and you see there the same fragility you are sometimes suffering from, then uh, you connect on a completely different level. Because you then at that very moment, you can recognize that you are always connected. Because mm -hmm. we all have the same kind uh, of problems. And just experiencing that is a very profound uh, connection, I guess. So I want to ask you a cultural question. Mm -hmm. Because you talked about connecting through fragility. And I think for a lot of people, that's not the first thought who are not German that they think about German culture, that Germans connect through their fragilities. I think that there is a long history of, of seeing, and, and I, you know, I, I, I did get a, I've, I've met with some Americans that are expats living here or immigrants living here in the, Germany. And um, one is, both of them are therapists. And one said, oh, you probably need to have a conversation with me because you probably are curious why German people don't smile or say hello when you walk down the street. And I thought, hmm, um, I'll have to ask Nadia if this is her experience too. And we had a little email exchange about that. And since then, I have been listening on the streets of, Seidel, of Heidelberg. And in fact, the, the German um, listeners who came out said, yes, it is part of our culture. We do not smile and say hello, but we are trying to change that. Yeah. What is this? Is this an experience? And, and you know... I, I don't even know where to go with this. I'm just sharing this experience mm -hmm. and want to dialogue with you about it a little bit and understand it. Yeah. After we uh, exchanged about that question a few days before, I, I really thought about when we did lost that. Because I remember as I grew up as a child and teenager, I was very used to say hello to everyone. And at that time, maybe 30 years ago, it, it was, at least in small towns, much more common than it's uh, nowadays. So uh, I, I don't have any idea why we lost this so strongly, because I, I see it the same way. Nowadays, uh, rarely one says hello to another person here in Germany. And uh, the smiling, maybe it's uh, also a consequence of uh, all this... Uh, cultural overwhelm and uh, all the stress-related uh, issues uh, on the street. I mean, uh, nowadays everyone has a smartphone in his hands and uh, looking at this. So it's really hard uh, to connect. But I have no idea uh, why we lost it because I think it was there once. Yeah. Maybe some time ago. Well, I've had some interesting experiences. I mean, what I tried to explain to these new German friends of mine was, I said, yes, and there's something liberating that someone doesn't feel like they must smile walking <laughs> down the street and they must smile. And we had a nice good laugh about California culture, right? <laughs> Which is that there is kind of this sunny happiness that it masks sometimes some real fragility, right? And it's another way mm -hmm. to mask the fragility. You know, one yeah. is stoic and one is kind of pretend, sort of um, saccharine, if you will. Yeah. I really like that kind of uh, interpretation because uh, that, that leads uh, 
to an interesting uh, conclusion that we all are hiding in a way mm -hmm. also through uh, habits like uh, that. And that again, because we, we are maybe still looking for better ways uh, to really connect, but we don't know how. <laughs> yeah. The other piece that's been unique for me though, is that it does seem like there is an easier time I've had once I have crossed a threshold with somebody here to get to, to, to get to the hidden world beneath. Mm -hmm. um, whereas mm, there's a teacher of, of mine that uses this phrase. She says, you know, we're, there can be in growth movements this desire to share vulnerabilities in order to get attention rather than to be in connection. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, I, I have experienced, a, I have experienced a less cell phone use here in Germany, hands down. Now, maybe it's just because Heidelberg is such a small town, because um, it is, it's, it, and I can feel it. I already saw someone on the bus yesterday, and I'm like, I just saw you at the grocery store two days ago. Like, I'm starting to see <laughs> the same people twice. So you're like, oh, this is a, still a small city, right? Um, mm. But this idea that when we connect, there's an initial barrier to entry, but once you've entered, there's a loyalty and a transparency that you can't, I, I, well, I'm married to a German, so I guess what I'm trying to say is I really like German people. <laughs> I mean, I think that sometimes a little hard to get isn't so bad, you mm -hmm. know, that there's an authenticity there, you know, one of the, the gals the other night said, I, I said, oh, I had this unusual experience and I was sharing with her the experience and I said, I'm trying to be compassionate towards this person. She goes, oh, I'm from Berlin. In Berlin, we would <laughs> never say, how is this a growth experience and you should be compassionate to this person. We'd say, huh, I don't like this person. I don't want to talk to them again. Yeah, that's typical for Berlin. They <laughs> are the worst of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, but, but I think you just touched something uh, really important because uh, I think sharing fragility uh, really needs time because we are just yeah. at the beginning of learning this. And uh, that's maybe also in our work. The Evolve Salons are quite an easy entry point to connecting. Because we have the magazine and the topics of the magazine. So you don't have, if you don't want to, get too personal. And uh, it's also this getting personal is not our main uh, interest. Because I think there's also some difference between getting in a psychological sense personal and opening up in a wider sense. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, if you are more on the personal side, there's still a voice in the back of your mind that immediately wants to get back something for yourself. Mm. And if you focus more on the process of opening up, mm. then you are really there. And I, I could imagine that you make similar experiences with your sidewalk talks as you are there only the listeners. You aren't planning responses, but uh, you are just there for the whole thing. And yeah. in a way, that's uh, a bit similar to what we are trying, just opening up. 
Gosh, this is a really cool formulation that you're making. So first of all, I want to repeat and reflect back because I think it's so important what you just said, and it, it makes me understand my own culture better in a way. Wow, so good. That getting personal may not be the same as opening up because getting personal, there's a desire for a response back. Mm-hmm. That is so freaking powerful. (laughs) (laughs) And I am imagining there are people listening to this conversation right now. They're going, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh. I bet a lot of therapists are listening to this right now because I'll tell you, Nadia, this is the number one thing that I've learned on the sidewalk. And Mm -hmm. I I shared with you that I had this argument with this rather famous psychologist and boy, Mm -hmm. he does not like me now because he felt that we should be handing out a menu of questions to get people to share really deep, personal, intimate details about their lives on the sidewalk. (laughs) And unless they were doing that, it wasn't real connection. I said, that's BS, right? (laughs) Yeah. And now I understand why I think it's BS because of what you just said, because opening up doesn't mean just opening up to the psychological realm. Mm Mm-hmm. And what happened in that salon when we were talking about money is I could tell that people were thinking about systems and they were thinking about culture and their psychological place in that. But it wasn't all about how they were victimized by that culture. Mm -hmm. They were also considering how they were a part of and creating that culture. And they were just thinking way beyond the psychological. And I think, frankly, therapists are guilty of going there way too fast that everything I, my, I raise my hand, myself included, that everything <laughs> becomes psychological when there's so much more that could be happening. So yep. powerful. I just love, love this. This whole conversation, <laughs> I, just, er, I just was worth it just from that last three minutes. Super <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I think we have to be aware of that this is a really, really profound cultural shift. Because uh, there are almost no places where, where we can experience this. And the miracle also for the personal side of being oneself comes uh, in processes like these always through the back door. But y- you have to trust that something is possible. And that's maybe uh, one other uh, really important uh, perspective of our work. We believe that between human beings in culture and in consciousness, something is possible. And if you try, and you just have to try to relate to that there might be an unknown potential, then it maybe even will show up. But trust is also an important part of uh, process. There's something very sweet about that. It's a, it's a life ethic that I hear you saying is, is kind of what sort of holds the entire connection. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, and no one uh, is doing something. In our dialogues, for example, we often are there as facilitators, but we are only holders of the space. We are just uh, trying to allow people to develop their sense for the space that's always there in between of us. Mm-hmm. We often might not see it or perceive it, but uh, it's always uh, there. And in just pointing 
to that uh, fact, people can get in a completely different resonance with this potential. So I want to get a little utilitarian here, a little pragmatic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are the things that we're doing inadvertently when we're in groups? Even we could, you can just keep it to the salon. Mm -hmm. If somebody comes to the salon, what are the kinds of behaviors that tend to create more opening for the members? And what are the behaviors that create closing? One, one aspect, for example, is being really interested in, in what you don't know yet. Because often we, we think our contribution to a dialogue is to bring in what we experienced, what we learned, what we uh, can bring in to bring things forward. But often that's not the case because it limits us to that what already exists. And often, that's the old Einstein uh, quote, that what we brought to the world created all the troubles we try to get over. Uh -huh. So being more interested in what we don't know yet is a real opener. And uh, another one, and there we meet what you're doing, is, of course, listening. And we mean with listening, not only perceiving what people are saying or how they are saying, but at the very same time, being also present for, yeah, I, I come back to the potential for what's possible in the space between us because if you say something it lands but it unfold can unfold at the very same time so i'm not only listening uh, to content but i try on a very subtle level to develop my senses to where wants this content lead to mm. and that that's also very very uh subtle and you can't force it to happen but you can practice it and then it becomes more likely that it happens <laughs> and it's so beautiful and sweet when it does mm -hmm. i mean i wish i i don't know how to capture this in language how it's like painting i can't explain it listening is like painting mm -hmm. when you yeah it's art. <laughs> it is really art. And it's, it, but what people don't understand is they think of art as the skill part of it. And I'm like, no, no, it's the pleasure part of it. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the surrender of what's going to happen mm -hmm. next. And yeah, I love the way that, well, A, I just love that yeah. you get it. It's fun yeah. to talk to someone that's listened like this and gets it deeply. Not everybody does. Um, even folks that I've interviewed. So, um, and I've interviewed mm -hmm. some smart folks. Um, what are some of the things that we're doing to close down the space? Uh, yeah, insisting, for example, on opinions. Or, yeah, tr really trying to follow an own agenda. Because, in a way, a real dialogue is always open. And uh, you can never know if it will lead to something. Sometimes it doesn't. But you have to stay in this uh, openness and not coming with your uh, own agenda because it's yeah it, it's very limiting to have own ideas and trying to occupy a space with own ideas 
Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, one might say now, yeah, but what can I bring in a dialogue when I can't bring my own agenda? Mm-hmm. And there, there uh, it gets again a bit mystical or you can call it spiritual. Because I, I think the most important things that develop culturally over decades, over hundreds and thousands of years, they weren't the result of just one idea or one person. And yeah, being free enough to not stay too much with one's own thoughts establishes also that thoughts can connect to other thoughts. Mm. And that happens beyond of us in the space Mm. in between. I'm just grinning from ear to ear right now. (laughs) I think if if I had had this conversation with you four years ago, I would be in my head right now. But what happened when you just said that, you said it's almost a mystical experience. When, when, who, who are we when we sit in a dialogue with someone without our opinions? And that mm-hmm. is the beauty of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it takes some practice, right? To have no self. Mm-hmm. But it's much less scary to enter that space of no self when you're in connection with someone else. Yeah. Absolutely. And this is, this is why I've said, I do, you know, this may piss you off, Nadia. I don't know. It's pissed off some of my San Francisco meditator friends. I said, I believe that heart-centered listening is the spiritual practice of our time. Mm-hmm. It and the is. reason why is because of that no-self place that you can get to when you're listening that I, thought, I think is very hard to get to in meditation all alone. Mm-hmm. Because for some folks, it's very scary to enter that space all by themselves. Mm-hmm. But if you're in connection with another, you're like, well, we're both going there, so we're okay. Yeah. On the other side, uh, my experience is, of course, that meditation really helps to get into this listening perspective. It's, it's a bit like a boot camp, because <laughs> if you experience that you are able to sit for a while still on a cushion and uh, do nothing, just open up, it's easier to remember this inner gesture when you are in dialogue. Because mm-hmm. usually all our habits come to the forefront if we find interesting people to talk to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a good example myself. Well, funny you should say that because one of my favorite questions that I like to ask people now, because we have these amazing, I mean, you're this an amazing, smart person. And then people can go off and feel like crap about themselves and go, oh yeah, Nadia, she meditates and she does these listening things and she's this amazing person. Please tell me that you screw it up sometimes. That, that happens, uh, yeah, many times a day. Thank For you. example, <laughs> that, yeah. Yes, that, please, and that's, be human That's with really, us. really natural. And, and I think we should get uh, rid of all these uh, thoughts of guilt and shame when it comes to failure. Because for, for me, failure is the best teacher of all. Because mm-hmm. only when, and when I'm allowed to, to really uh, sense what the failure means. So I have to allow myself also to feel the pain that's connected to failing. But not in the sense uh, seeing myself then as a bad person, as a loser or something like that. 
but really seeing that I want to be in the world to reduce pain like this. Mm. And uh, yeah, therefore failure for me feels always like an invitation. Mm. And to be honest, when it, especially when it comes to listening and to dialogue, there will never be a place where you got it. When you think that, you aren't in dialogue again and you aren't listening anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So I've taken up a good portion of your time and I appreciate, I know it's, it's late in the day for you as well. So thanks for making time and all the things that you do for being in dialogue with us. You know, as a, a closing to this conversation, I would ask what parting piece of advice or wish that you would want to offer directly to these 7,000 people that sit on sidewalks around the world. What would you say to them about, their, about what they're doing? My sense is go on. Listen wherever you can. Because what I really like about sidewalk talks is that they are really bringing listening to the public. That listening gets visible as an act of uh, yeah, establishing a completely new culture. And I, I really like all those pictures on your website, seeing people uh, on the streets. Because I think if we see examples like that, it becomes more and more likely that things are changing. Yeah, that it'll ripple out and people will, even if they just see a photo, will take it into their own home. Hmm. As my sons remind me every day, you know, Mama, for someone that leads a listening project, sometimes you're a real crappy listener. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's always time to learn more. <laughs> and then I go, ah, oh, yes, let me go look at those photographs again. <laughs> well, um, Nadia, how can folks find you if they want to follow your blog? Also, did you want to say a little bit? Well, I guess it's going to be passed by the time this airs, but I did want to just say what the cool thing is that you're doing in December, that you're in a, a kind of a global community where you're going to meditate for 24 hours together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's maybe cool. as most of your listeners might be English speaking, uh, the activities of our international global uh, part might be really interested. We have a project that's called One World in Dialogue. And you can find it also through Google by this. And uh, this 24-hour medita meditation vigil, uh, that uh, will be an event where social activists give impulses and people worldwide are meditating throughout 24 hours. That's one thing. And we also have international courses in English for example, a project that's called Awaken Your Tribe, where social activists meet and learn dialogue and learn uh, to bring in a new kind of togetherness into their projects, stuff like that. And this German-speaking people, of course, can look at Evolve magazine, where they find quarterly new deep inspirations. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And I hope that at one point you get to come out and sit on the sidewalk sometime and experience it. Maybe wait until spring, though. It was really cold this week. 
I can imagine. I can imagine. We might have I, to find a library soon. Yeah, I'll wait till early summer next year. Sounds, sounds good. All right, then. Well, thank you so much, Nadia. Thank well. you so much, Tracy, for having me. Yeah. And all the best. Yes. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.